Christmas, everyone, and welcome to the Christmas special of the It's Canon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things, everything, and I think that today in this episode, you are really going to see that. As always, we're your hosts, I'm Boris, and on this festive, beautiful day, I'm joined by Phil. Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy Holidays. And Tyler. I'm just going to do my apology up front. I'm in an absolutely foul mood today, and it has nothing to do with Christmas. I'm going to try to pull it together for the audience. I'm just, I'm apologizing and warning everyone up front. I love it. Just keep drinking. We're going to keep drinking. Yeah. By the end of these 90 minutes or so, we're going to be shmammered. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to discuss three very different entries. And uh, yeah, we're going to kick off and end our 12 Days of Christmas special with this episode. So before we go any further, thank you so much to everyone that has listened to our 12 Days of Christmas. It's been a hell of a 12 days. 10 of those were spent talking a show that we regret watching. For the most part, a failing grade, and that was Star Trek Lower Decks. Then, yesterday on Christmas Eve, I talked some wrestling with Matt. That was a lot of fun. And then today, we are talking three entries, three gifts from one of us to the other two. And it's uh, very different stuff. And I think it was the best representation of the three of us that you can possibly get. It's true. Yeah. (laughs) phil and i both were like who's doing this and we just immediately were like i don't remember how to fucking podcast let's just do this exactly Uh, you know what it's It's fine it's quite an eclectic mix of shows oh yeah that's for sure i i I think it represents our audience i think it represents our show and it represents a lot of what's going on in the geek world exactly (laughs) that's fair it really is um so, for those of you who haven't been listening to our 12 Days of Christmas, number one, shame on you. I hope you get coal. Go back and listen to it. You know what? You don't have to listen to the 12 Days. It's it's fine if you missed the lower decks. That is not required in, in listening. <laughs> listen, listen to day nine. Yeah, day, nine day nine is worth it. Day yeah. nine is day probably the best. And also, day 10 might be... I mean, day nine the, is the best. It's also great because StarCraft commentators goes by day nine. But also... I haven't listened to it back yet, but day 10 might be worth it because I was at the start of the episode, one sheet to the wind. And by the end of the episode, more than one sheet to the wind. To say the least. Yeah. When I was yeah. uh, sneaky drinking, final... we didn't see it. Yeah, when I was putting in the final <laughs> bit of editing, um, I started laughing out loud. And then I said, yeah. fill a message. I'm not sure whether I'm proud or embarrassed of these episodes. I mean, so I didn't actually drink during the episode on day 10. I just pounded a bunch before, and that was just me metabolizing it. (laughs) Like, it stopped drinking. All right, guys, it is Christmas. That means that something awesome is out today, and I just want to remind you guys what that something is. And Tyler, you remember this bit from the old incarnation of the show. Yeah. Wonder Woman, it's out. Hopefully, you get to watch it. The three of us will be watching it shortly, but I'm for sure looking forward to it. Um, yeah, Phil, 
How has your week been going? What have you been up to leading into Christmas? Oh, work. Somebody's got to work. And luckily, I'm not working um, in retail. However, the work still needs to get done. So I've been doing that and obviously lots of podcasting. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Who would have thought that 12 Days of Christmas would actually, you know, take a lot of your time? Yeah, looking back on it, it was such an easy, sure. And uh, then you realize what the commitment actually means. And you're like, it's cutting into my Animal Crossing time and my Cyberpunk Stadia time. But them's the breaks. I, I'm yep. still advancing in that. I'm happy to report. Uh, was... It's bug-free and fun. Mwah, chef's kiss. I mean, it's like on four patches since launch now, I think. Yeah, and we're getting the regular patch updates through Stadia. Yeah, Stadia, so, I think, is a, like it's, I think it's been, a, I, I looked into it, and I think it's been averaging only like a three, four hour delay after PC, which is, I gotta give it to them, better than I expected. We're hoping that maybe in the new year, uh, they use these Vulcan video cards that just received a patch that gives them full ray tracing. Ooh. So we're really hoping nice. we get that. Yeah. Because you know that Google are licking their chops and going, how can we capture even more market? Like I said, Stadia is going to be a sleeper hit of 2021, and I think Cyberpunk is really going to help them. Uh, but Stadia 2021, I'm telling you, it's going to be something. I think the pandemic is also going to help them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For... Great way to get into next gen without hardware. Yep. Especially when you can't get the hardware. Yeah. It's, it's changing my mind on a lot of stuff. For right 2021, do you think that we will see Game Pass on Stadia? I don't know if they have the licenses for it. I don't know if they have, if Microsoft have the desire to go there, considering they're pretty much launching a competing, a competitor in their own space. Right. Well, but at the end of the yeah. day, they're launching Game Pass on PC. That's a, their biggest competitor. Um, I think that if Microsoft for sure focuses on services and Game Pass specifically, why not? Put it everywhere. Well, to me, launching Game Pass on PC is you're already selling the license for the OS. So you're getting a return on that in a weird way, in a controlled market. So I, I just don't know on Stadia if that if that business model exists. However, Stadia, I will, I will happily report, when you purchase your monthly fee buy-in, you can also play for free. But when you do the monthly fee buy-in, you get a game a month for free. Yeah. What 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 is that monthly buy-in for our listeners? Uh it's <clears throat> Canadian 11.99, I think American 9.99. That's and better than get, I expected. You get a triple A game every month for free. Plus you get weekend games where you get free to play titles. So different games that are on Stadia will just say, "Hey, look, Assassin's Creed is free this weekend." play it and there's no downloading so it's not like you're gonna play it on the xbox and then have to download 70 gigs just to play for 72 hours it's instantly you're playing it yeah that's one of the things about like anytime there's a weekend beta you know you spend at least mm -hmm. one day downloading getting it ready that's yeah that's an unfortunate reality of a lot of those um yeah, it, I mean, honestly we are all going into lockdown and i have considered looking into stadia for 
part of that just to say I've tried it kind of yeah. thing. One thing about Stadia, though, is <laughs> good luck trying to get the controller. They are just about sold out. Um, for sure, the Founders Pack, the Founders Edition, whatever they call it, uh, oh, yeah. that is sold out everywhere uh, on the Google website. Here, here's the nice thing. As a Stadia guy now, I get to be this way. <laughs> you can use any controller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not limited. That's what... As long as you have a Chromecast or a device that's compatible with Bluetooth, you yeah. can hook up an Xbox controller. You can hook yeah. up a PlayStation controller. You can hook up a third-party Bluetooth re- re- controller. And you're going to be able yeah. to play. I mean, I will say I still love that PS5 controller. Yeah. I don't know oh, why. I don't know what it's... it is. I don't know what it is, but I like it more than... So, have you gone back to PS4 and held one of those controllers since starting your PS5 adventure? Yeah, so I actually, um, I realized that entirely by accident. I have a PS2, a PS3, a PS4, and a PS5 controller in my apartment. Nice. Hmm. And technically, I have the redo of the PS1 controller because I have that PS1 mini. Yeah. Classic thing. Oh yeah, um, and yeah, I, I don't, I don't fully understand why it's so much better. It just is. I the the weirdest thing, and this is gonna sound something brown nosy or something. It like regulates sweat. Got clammy hands, and it works. And I don't know. I just fucking love the PS5 controller. No, it's it's a beautiful controller. It just fits well in the hand. Um, it it feels great when it vibrates. Mm-hmm. We still are talking about controllers. I swear. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's a great controller and you know, it's, I will maintain that it is the best controller for video game consoles, period. I'm Maybe even best controller, guys. period. My favorite controller so far has been the Xbox Elite. That one's also really good. Yeah. That for one's the... definitely better than the PS4. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was like 200 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. It's the price of a console now. <laughs> An Jeez. Old generation. That is crazy. You know but what controllers I still, are actually... That's been two years. I've been going on. <clears throat> you know what controllers are actually pretty good? The Switch Pro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not bad. Yeah. It's not bad. It's not a bit bad. It's a bit light. Yeah. I got, yeah, it is light. It's yeah. weirdly light. Yeah, it, but I don't even mean the physical weight. I mean the, the stick movement. Yeah. I didn't find that, but okay. But as well, I let a 10-year-old... My brother's uh, uh, one of my nephews. He he played Smash Brothers for like three weeks on it straight. Ah. So I think he probably <laughs> might have had, worn it in a little bit. Yeah, mine had yeah. bite marks all over it when I got mine back. So go figure. Hmm. Good way to do it. Exactly, Tyler. How's your week been? What have you been up to? I know you've been working in the retail space, so I know I'm gonna regret this answer. But let's see how you do. I'm I'm again. I'm gonna try to keep my negativity in. I'm going to try to limit the outflow, but um, ever since Ontario announced it was going into lockdown, people have gone insane. Um, at the time of recording, I have kicked, like, I've kicked people out of the store for still not wearing masks, for still not oh. respecting, like, counts. I, it's been bananas. I don't know what's going on. I, I, I think... I think people think the store is doing a lot worse than it is because we had a bunch of speculators come in 
and like try to snipe us on a bunch of comics like i don't know what things are worth it was so weird it's been a week i'm really looking forward to i get a full week off before even lockdown hours yeah and i'm looking forward to some catch up on sleep and that yeah so if i was to offer you uh fifty dollars for this oh, dollar comic book would you take it oh <laughs> no no, it was even better. It was, it was, I can quote one of the people because this guy comes in regularly and he knows like our process for how we did to come up with prices. Because some comic book stores mm. are really smoke and mirrors and we're just transparent. We say, like, this is what we're doing. Here's how we're going to do it. And here's where, here's where we start the negotiation. And if you want to try to like get us on it, we have a little bit of wiggle room, but we're also not going to fight you too hard if you just want to walk away. And this guy came in and he got a big stack and he was like, I started pricing. Him. He's like, yeah, I just don't want to pay the, I just don't want to pay market prices for them. And I was like, get the fuck out of here then. Like, I don't know. I have a, I have, there's a line out the door because I have, I have a maximum yeah. store count because of the freaking pandemic. We're going into lockdown. Don't waste my time. Yeah. And just left, just walked away. And I was like, jeez. And yeah. I think what it is, is I think is like, like, and I think what it is, he just want he's just either hoping we're gonna go bankrupting and snipe stuff, or I think that he wants us to um make mistakes. And he saw that I was on my A game today for not dealing with that kind of shit. Yeah. That's annoying. Good for you. Very annoying. Well, Say I hope Libby. you get to relax on your week off. And more importantly, I hope you get to watch this in a little bit. Yeah. I'm bringing it back. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, if, if everything goes as planned, I'll be watching it tonight. Awesome. 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 Guys, are you ready to begin our trade-off, our, our synopsis and review and critique and maybe therapy for Tyler for our gifts? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. We are going to start. So... Essentially, what we decided to do is I gifted Phil and Tyler Batman Returns. Phil gifted myself and Tyler a Muppets, Muppets Family Christmas. And Tyler gifted Phil and myself The Endless. And yeah. we're going to discuss. We are each going to have fun with this. And then we're going to talk about our picks and we're going to make sure that Tyler's in a safe place and make sure that he's doing all right. Yeah. I'm going to start off with letting everybody know I watched Batman Begins by accident. <laughs> yeah, so you did. Phil will only be talking about Batman Begins. So if I mentioned it, it was Christopher Nolan's idea to do this decision <laughs> with Danny DeVito. It's purely an accident. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right, guys, let's get started. So the first movie is this. That's right, it's Batman Returns. Batman Returns came out in on June 19th, 1992. Phil, what were you doing in 1992? On June 19th, I was probably standing in line for this movie. Yeah. I can tell you that much. But I would still be in high school and still trying to reconcile the fact that I watched this movie. And I have the EP for the original movie 
<laughs> the original Batman. I love it. I love it. Like the actual vinyl. I have it. That is nice. awesome. Tyler, Big what were you doing? Batman. Were you? Were you? Yeah, you were alive. Yeah. Yeah, I was. I was. I actually remember. I was uh, at my cousin's house being babysat by them. So my parents could go to this movie <laughs> because I was four. Amazing. Wow. Yep. We were playing the Super Nintendo. <laughs> uh, don't remember the specific game, but I mean, uh, probably Super Mario World or mm -hmm. Link to the Past. Yep. Sounds about right. Bomberman on that. Yep. Yeah, but I, I, I know I didn't. I, I, I mean, we're getting to weird lore now, but I somehow only first interacted with Bomberman in Bomberman 64, which warps oh, your view of Bomberman. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Because that's, that's not the same game at all. That's that Perfect. weird era of third, th 3D adventure games. When they tried weird. doing different stuff, it's like, remember that Mega Man network game that came out around that era of Bomberman 64? <laughs> well, because Mega Man had two weird game series yeah. around that yep. era. One was the online, like, Mega Man was like a, a program? Yeah. And the other one was Mega Man in a, who is actually a cyborg boy in a yes. post apocalypse. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because I remember both of those. Yeah. So, summer of 1992, number mm -hmm. one song. Do you guys have any guesses what the number one song would have been in the USA? On the no, charts? On the charts. I have no idea. You're, you're going to include in this pop so i'd be out <laughs> but a right. gamble on the alt it would probably be something by nirvana uh no they were not in the top five mm. all right so top five okay, songs so in the usa <laughs> on vogue my lovin red hot chili peppers under the bridge crisscross okay fair jump number two was sir mix a lot Baby got back. And Damn the number man. one song in the USA on the weekend of June 19th, 1992, was Mariah Carey, I'll Be There. Mariah Carey was that? All right. Under the bridge, hey. Yeah. I thought Mariah Carey didn't start till later than that. My no. brain is... Oh, man. Yeah. Nope. This, this would have been, actually, just to let you know what was going on in my life at this time, I was the lead singer for a band. What? Let's talk. Let's screw this. Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I was the let's, lead singer. Let's hear this. And, let's hear about this. And uh, we did one show, and yeah, we did. Uh, I I actually had Megadeth in my repertoire. Uh, oh, nice. Um, I also did. Um, uh, what was it? Temple the Dog. I sang the um, the part of Eddie Vedder. Nice Hunger Strike. Look yeah. at you. Yeah, we did. We actually did. Um, Megadeth was a pain in the ass because we did the yeah. one Hangar 18. That's why I said the line the other week in our podcast, Military Intelligence, two words combined that can't make sense. Yes. That's a lyric. Yeah. And anyhow, that was a timing change, and I had to run the entire timing change for the drummer because he hated the fucking song. Jeez. Crazy. Yeah, so... It was right. fun because my singing part was so small in that I was like, I could leave. And they're like, no, yeah. <laughs> you're the only one that knows how the, the, the time signature changes. <laughs> all right. So well, all right. expanding the scope beyond June 19th, 
popular movies are on the summer of 1992. The Dark Side of the Heart. Also, The Player, starring Tim Robbins. In May of 1992, and still somewhat popular and in limited release around this time, was one of my favorite movies, Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me. Mm-hmm. Later on in the summer, A League of Their Own came out. It's also worth noting that uh, David Bowie actually had to turn down being cast in Batman Returns for Fire for Twin Peaks. Yep. Mm. Yep. He was going to play Max Shrek. We're going to talk about that character in a little bit with the fun facts of Batman Returns. Um, but yeah, fun David Bowie facts. was originally scheduled to play Max Shrek. Um, things that were happening on June 19th, 1992, obviously. Batman Returns comes out. Evander Holyfield beat Larry Holmes in 12 rounds for the heavyweight boxing title. Guardian Angel Curtis Silva was shot twice in New York City. Um, yeah, that that's the stuff that was happening. All right. Crazy. Yep. So talking now in particular about Batman Returns, it had a budget of $80 million. On opening weekend, it grossed $45 million. Six hundred eighty-seven thousand seven hundred eleven in two thousand six hundred forty-four theaters. Overall, Batman grossed one hundred sixty-two million, uh, and it left theaters on October twenty-second, nineteen ninety-two. So it spent one hundred twenty-six days in theaters, grossing just under one hundred sixty-three million. Is that domestic? Worldwide. Okay. It did not do well compared to the first time. I, I'm looking at no, that a is different just domestic. report. That is just domestic. Yeah, I'm that like, I'm looking domestic. at another report, which gave it 282. Yeah, that was just domestic. Sorry. Had to click yeah, yeah. a little further down. Yeah. But overall, it didn't do as well as Batman 1989. So in terms of production... Um, They were hoping to start filming in May of 1990 at Pinewood Studios. They actually spent $250,000 storing sets from the first movie. Um, Tim Burton wasn't really sure whether he would want to return. He overall had mixed emotions of the first movie. um, And he was quoted by saying, I will return if the sequel offers something new and exciting. Um, Otherwise, it's a most dumbfounded idea. So... Um, he went to direct Edward Scissorhands in retaliation um, with 20th Century Fox. So then Warner Brothers being Warner Brothers, because Warner Brothers loves shaking things up, they basically gave him more creative control. They also demoted producers John Peters and Peter Goober to executive producers. Um, part of Burton's contract specifically stipulated that um, John Peters could not set foot on set and he couldn't interfere with any of the movie. Uh, so Tim Burton was essentially given all the control, all the say. So this is why Batman Returns had more of a Tim Burton vibe to the movie. You know, between Batman and Batman Returns, the movies were super different stylistically, uh, aesthetically. I know Phil even made mention of this off, uh, off recording, but there's a reason for this, and that's because Tim Burton essentially had all the say for Batman Returns. Um, the original writer was Sam Hamm. Um, he gave them a few versions of the script. One of the versions of the script was essentially a direct sequel of Batman. 
Uh, it had Vicky Vale. It was going to introduce Marlon Wayans as Dick Grayson. The story was going to essentially be a heist with Catwoman and the Penguin trying to steal something from the Batcave. Um, WB even began to pressure DC Comics to redesign Robin in order for Marlon Wayans to make the cinematic introduction of Dick Grayson. So this resulted in the creation of a new costume for Tim Drake. Um, and even Tim Drake, the character, was created for Batman Returns, it's kind of. Um, Tim from Tim Drake comes from Tim Burton. Um, and yeah, they changed the entire design to kind of make it look like something that would come from the movie. So, Can we go Tim, back and make that movie? I know, right? <laughs> I, know. I, I am astounded by the concept of a Wayne's brother as Robin. Yeah, yeah. I know. I th- I just think there's so much freaking fun that that that's in that. Yeah. Also, think like back night too. That was in Living Color time, wasn't it? Like yeah. Jim Carrey was the white guy on that show. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Andrew Wilson was just a dancer. The Wayans ran the world at this point, and WB was able to convince one of the Wayans in pre-production to play Robin. I think that would have been really cool. Um, so essentially, Tim Burton being Tim Burton. He didn't like the script. He brought in Daniel Waters to write a completely new story and characterizations. Uh, Burton was impressed with this, uh, and then they made more changes. So now the plot had Penguin running for mayor. Um, They also copied some elements from Batman 66, which included uh, Penguin running for mayor. Um, They gave Penguin a new backstory you know, being coming from the rich family and the Cobblepot family. Um, they wrote the character of Max Shrek for Batman Returns. And they even brought in um, uh, Tim Bruce, Bruce Tim, to uh, sit in because at the same time they were developing Batman the Animated Series. So mm-hmm. they wanted to have Max Shrek as a character in Batman the animated series, uh, but essentially they pivoted last minute and they created the character of Roland Daggett for Batman the animated series, and he's essentially a person who created Clayface. He had this storyline with Catwoman, etc. Uh, and fun fact: in Batman Dark Knight Rises, there was a character named John Daggett who was portrayed like uh, you know, kind of based off of this Roland Daggett <laughs> character that Bruce Timm created. Um, Burgess Meredith, who played the Penguin in the 1966 Batman series, was also considered for the role of Tucker Cobblepot, so the father. Uh, oh, that'd but, be cute. Yeah, but due to poor health, Meredith was forced to reject the offer, and they brought in Pee Wee Herman himself uh, for the role. Paul um, Rubens. Yep, Paul Rubens, and they brought him back in Gotham years later to play the same character. Um, Just think, Paul got his film debut. Maybe it wasn't his debut, but I'll always remember him in the Blues Brothers. (laughs) We also had uh, Wesley Strick Strick, doing a bunch of uncredited rewrites shortly before filming, including fleshing out apparently a bunch of dialogue problems. Yep. Uh, And he was the on-set writer throughout filming. Yep. Uh, yeah, and then he's but, gone on to have a very successful career, which is kind of funny considering. Exactly. Yep. 
Michael <laughs> Keaton was not entirely happy with the script, so that's why they actually had an on like they hired him specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, the writer that is because they slashed over fifty percent of Batman's yeah. lines. They wanted a chattier Batman. They w- but Michael Keaton wanted to stay true to the comic books, and he wanted limited dialogue for Batman. Again, Tim Burton being Tim Burton, he just wanted to change things up. So um, in terms of, go ahead, Phil. I want to say this, all right, because you you mentioned something to me about podcasting, where it's like you never make a decision about what kind of podcast you made while you're making the podcast. Mm. I think that should go for script writing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but you shouldn't be on <sighs> set writing script and going, yeah, you know like, what? We're not going to shoot this because you've got to remain true to your character. I, I you'd think you'd want it all in the freaking can and make that this, decision on the editor. This happens like, all the time. Yeah. Like they change lines yeah. when they're filming, especially when they're filming a comedy in front of a studio. Um, yep. like live studio audience, they'll change lines in the middle of filming. Yeah, but here, here's what you do. Do both lines. If you yeah. want to ad-lib one, mm-hmm. all right, but here, here's a script one, all right? And then you go back to the editing booth and you go, you know what, Han, I love you. I know. That's the better line. Yeah. That's the better line. It stands, right? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is the start of Keaton... Going through what we now know in retrospect was like Keaton's whole Batman rise and fall, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Keaton was. I mean, kind of. There's a lot of like speculation about the whole interiority of what was going on in his head, but you really get the feeling that he was trying to make it. Like he was trying to make it like a serious part. Yep. Yeah. I think that's part of the motivation. Here's well, the thing: when you watch this movie, it's anything but serious. Oh, a hundred percent. I think that. I mean, he, he... maybe at the time, like, because I remember I was into this. Right? Yeah. And at the time, you didn't feel that way necessarily. There were parts that you did, but maybe there weren't the parts with Michael Keaton in it. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I remember he walked away from the next movie. He just yeah. refused to do it because he was terrified yeah. of being typecast. Yeah, and not, not only that, but. You know, the next point that I was going to make is that Batman turned took a lot of controversy for being too dark and received a PG-13 rating for brooding dark violence by the MPAA. Um, there was, it, they just said it was too dark. It was too gruesome. It wasn't for kids. Remember, at this time, it was a comic book movie, so it's supposed to be for kids, y'all. You know, so mm-hmm. the fact that it was yeah. a little darker in tone, the fact that Tim Burton was being Tim Burton, it got a little negative reception. Um, so this prompted Terry Seymour and Bob Daly to rethink their approach to the entire franchise, and the series was handed to director Joel Schumacher, who gave it a much more lighthearted and family-friendly approach to the characters, uh, which is why we saw... That's where it goes down. Yep, which is, that's why Batman Forever stylistically... Um, character design, yeah. everything is more comic book e for families. It's why Jim Carrey did what he did with the Riddler. It's why Two Face was this buffoon. Um, you know, it was it was a it was a child's movie at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it, it it really is fascinating with this type of stuff and movies and actors and egos and 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 the likes. Oh, totally. And yeah, I mean, it took him ages to get back to that level. And now he's going to be Batman again. So who knows? Exactly. Um, At the time, uh, this movie got a 81% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is considered fresh. Um, However, a lot of people 
fans and critics still said that the movie was overly dark um, and sadistic, and it criticized the in it said that it was inappropriate for children. Uh, McDonald's was upset with Tim Burton and WB because of the style, because they had Happy Meal toys. So this was basically like they couldn't find. It had a lot of things going against it. You know, you had Batman, who typically is a dark character, especially this time. It was when we started getting that dark Batman character uh, that was created in the comic books after Dark Knight Returns. Uh, So, you know, it was kind of because it's a comic movie, you wanted it to be for kids. But uh, stylistically, Batman was already dark. You had McDonald's. You had the toy deals. So everyone kind of did its own spin of this movie. Um, and it was interesting to kind of see, like, something like this would not happen now, because I think people have accepted comic book movies for being anything from wacky to kid-friendly to whatever Deadpool and Harley Quinn can be. What, what What's fascinating is exactly that, in this moment in history, I think reviving the Batman idea in a movie... Really, there were still people with a long memory about the original 60s campy series with Adam West. Yep. And I think that these movies represented the bridge to show that you could tell a story like this in a movie effectively because I think most of the movies that have been attempted until this point always got relegated to, no, that's just comic book crap. Yep. And this would be the first time because I, I remember with the first movie in particular... It was absolutely gargantuan, the marketing machine that they had created and the amount of buzz. And I need to see this movie. And it was also coinciding with the death of Robin in the comic book, especially on the first one, because that was the issue they gave us while we stood in line, right? It was like the first part of it so that we'd have to go to the comic book store to buy the second part if we found it accessible. So... There was there was a lot of really smart tie-ins going on on DC's behalf, and they were really paying attention to the marketplace. And I think this movie just shows what can be wrong with the sequel, mm-hmm. especially from the standpoint of the marketing and kind of the battles, because everybody just perceived the money pot is here. This yep. is where the rainbow lands. Mm-hmm. So we all want a piece. Yeah, and the infighting that comes of it. Exactly. Um, couple last notes. Max Shrek, as I mentioned, was a new character in the franchise created specifically for this movie. Um, this is a bit of an urban legend. No one has actually confirmed or denied this, but there is some rumor and innuendo that says that the character of Max Shrek was originally supposed to be Harry Dent, um, and in the moment that Catwoman electrocuted him. Denton would be survived, but his face would be deformed, um, and this would lead into the third Batman movie. Instead, we got Christopher Walken. Yep, instead we got Christopher yeah. Walken uh, playing this Which zany character. I nearly, uh, I'll tell you this, after I watched Batman Begins, and I fired up this movie <laughs> and watched it, I nearly fell off my chair because I'd completely forgotten that Christopher Walken was in it and how jarring it is that the way that Christopher Walken delivers a line. All right. I know it's his strong point, (laughs) but it can also be 
a character's weak point. Yeah. Because I just kept on thinking of them. We need more cowbell. Yeah. And it's just that pacing, right? It's and I know he credits that cowbell with ruining his career. Yep. Because it 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 took that signature and it applied a joke to it. Yeah. So I definitely feel for the guy, but he was already folding himself into that little crease as it was. Because yeah. it is odd. It's an odd timing thing that he has. That's uniquely him. So good on him, but it freaked me out. Yeah. Well, especially you go from, like, you know, the new era Batman movies that are very true to the comic book, um, maybe even a little too realistic and too grounded to Tim Burton's brain. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's that, the directorial creative force that is Tim. Yeah. And the baggage that Tim has, right, with his movies. Danny Elfman doing the music. Yep. We have... Tim Burton doing all the stuff that's very Tim Burtony, and yeah. I it's it it was very difficult to watch and take seriously. I did appreciate the fact that your pick took into account that it was Christmas time. Yep. So I think that it puts itself into a holiday movie category that maybe in the future I might want to pull out of the library to put on TV. Yeah, because of that aspect for for a joke or for a party or something like that. But man, there was a lot of cringe in this movie for me, like a lot. Like, and I'm not one of these. I know we're on a podcast where we talk about stuff, and I know people hear me break down Mandalorian or whatever each week, but I don't typically notice certain aspects of movies. But with this iteration of film with the choices they made, the people they have doing it, the people they have acting in it, and production quality. <laughs> I was really disappointed in the production quality of this movie. It felt like it was shot on a block set that was <laughs> roofed and closed, so it's being shot at Pinewood all of a sudden makes a lot of sense to it me. It was. <laughs> and they're trying to maneuver a really big automobile into that space. They had no scale at all all with their effects or or anything like why couldn't they do more alternate shoots instead everything just felt so cramped from okay forgivably the bat cave but even gotham city felt horrible to me it didn't feel like a city it felt like we were always at city hall and it felt like shrek's place was always across from city hall and it felt yep. like the christmas tree is going to be over there and it felt like all the penguins are going to congregate here and everything just felt horrible to me yep. the, the, the 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 loftiest place that i found myself allowed to breathe as a viewer was penguin's lair because it was white. It was painted white. So it gave you this bigger effect. Yeah. Uh, and the arch ceilings and whatnot. So I don't typically notice stuff like that. And I know that you can work it into a movie where that works for you. Yeah. But for this movie, I felt that it hurt it because it felt cheap. It but felt hear, like they took a 1966 Batman set and made Michael Keaton wear a rubber that's suit. Essentially, what Tim Burton kind of went with, you know, they took a lot of aspects of Batman 66. And tried to bring it to, into the movies, um, which, Ugh. you know, I think at the time it worked. 
And I think that this movie just hasn't aged well because we've seen the comic book genre of movies blow up into what it is today. But you can even go back to the the first one with with Nicholson as a Joker. It it felt bigger. Yeah, for me. I feel, I feel but like maybe in my record. You know, yeah, like, I know exactly what that, you mean. That's my only issue. And I did like some of the lines. I did like how they went for certain things in this movie because the humor definitely caught me off guard because they're very sexually. Uh, 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 there's a lot of sexual. Yeah. Penguin. Penguin. And there's a lot of stuff that would. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I don't think would ever make it into a movie now because there'd be a group of people or a. There'd be someone upset about it. Yep. And the humor completely skates by some pretty stuff that like some stuff that we'd be pretty suspect about now. Like, yeah. We'd be like, ooh, this is a dangerous joke. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, sure. that was that was a little bit of a retro like, oh, yeah, I remember when movies could do this. And, you know, it, it's kind of a sad memory because you go and the groups that would be offended by it were so suppressed and so. So uh, societally, um, like mm-hmm. pushed into a hole that they'd never emerged to complain about it. So yeah. you were allowed to to laugh at it, but you didn't really realize you were hurting people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the great the great comparator I was thinking of was bringing up that that oh we almost had a Wayne's brother as Robin versus like remember when there was like that rumor, not even a rumor from Sony that Donald Glover might play Spider Man. And people went insane trying to, like, like death threats. Yeah. And it was well, like, jeez. I think that part yeah, of it is that, like, like one remember, of the most genius guys I know. Jeez. Remember <laughs> that in the early 90s, fuck, even until five, ten years ago, anytime there was any comic book property, whether it be yep. a TV show or a movie, we, everyone, if you were a comic fan, you would go out of your way to watch it. Because it's a comic book thing. It's something mm-hmm. geek being turned into a movie. Everyone watched mm-hmm. Ben Affleck as Daredevil. You know? Um, I think regrettably. now... Regrettably. <laughs> that's something that we should uh, revisit sometime. Oh, that's, a, that's a bad I've never movie. seen it. I've never really? seen it. Jennifer Garner, yeah, Ben Affleck. It. Fucking I have movie it in my collection so because it was always rumored that Kevin Smith ghost wrote it. So I have it in my movie collection, but I've never put it, the disc in. I I've thought that got to watch it. I think it got squashed. I don't it did think get it's squashed. True, but it did get squashed. Yeah, yeah. But it, you know, it's so... just like did he ghostwrite for uh, for Goodwill Hunting? Yeah. Well, that's a... there's always that application yeah, that someone that, didn't that write the, that movie. something into the something into the glove, like when the guy when they're talking about the the baseball glove that that was always like Kevin Smith wrote that. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a whole separate. so Uh, the point that i was trying to make is that you know back then we didn't have a lot of choice so you everyone clamored to watch these movies like remember after batman and robin it was released in 1997 um people there was those huge rumors speculation that mel gibson was going to be batman after george clooney you know and everyone accepted it now because there's just so much people tend to complain and internet warriors and whatever and podcasts like us and you know there's just so much more attention on these things that i think that any negativity is like blown insanely huge but you do bring up a great point tyler that you know it, it it we go from everyone being cool to what's happening in these movies to 
nothing satisfies anyone in these mm-hmm. types of movies. Mm-hmm. I'm right. looking back. I didn't realize how many 1990s comic book movies there were. There were a lot. It's bizarre in retrospect. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think that, that that ground needed to be fertilized in order to get the mature crop that we get now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, like, after Batman and Robin, they essentially stopped. Uh, Batman and Robin yeah. essentially ruined the entire franchise. No one wanted to take a chance at comic book mm-hmm. movies um, until X-Men 99 came out. I think that's part of why we also, yeah, I think that's part of what actually led to um, Mystery Men. Yes. It was like it, a response it, to some of this, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. So, going back to Phil's point in terms of the writing, the writing was a little suspect. And here's the thing. Remember, there was three or four different people who wrote this. They took the original script. Then Tim Burton brought his people, um, his team of two, to rewrite the script. And then they had the on-set writer to make those changes on the fly. So, these are four <laughs> different visions Plus, Tim Burton's vision of Batman. So, it's a real mixing, mix match of ideas and, and, and whatnot that ended up on screen. And the fact that, that Michael Keaton couldn't turn his head. Well, <laughs> yeah. Huh. He said it. It's true. I'm sorry, but at the end when he takes his mask off and he just rips a rubber and I'm like, he's keeping a rubber company in business. <laughs> Every time I want to take the helmet, the mask off, rip, <laughs> make a one. Yep, exactly. <laughs> looks stupid. Um, in terms of you know characters themselves, I think overall you know the rewriting of Penguin into kind of the story that everyone gives them now was well done. Mm-hmm. Um, the origin stories of Catwoman, I think that overall, you know, until we see. Um, the new Batman, the Batman. I think this is by far the best characterization of Catwoman on screen, period. It was rushed, but it was... I I thought her first encounter, maybe it was filmed this way, but it was extremely awkward, which would make sense. Well... She did get into the character as the movie she was, went on. Yeah. But... But she was also she freezing all the time and usually yeah. had to go pee because she could only go to the bathroom once per day. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She yeah. she. Yeah. It took like, what is it? It took two hours to do Penguin's makeup and like an hour for her to put on that outfit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't doubt it. She yeah. she, she she wore it well. Yeah. Like, it was it was overdone, but whatever. Yeah. Speaking of Catwoman, they changed the ending at the 11th hour um they wanted a originally it was going to be a more you know here's your interpretation or what's your interpretation is catwoman alive or is catwoman dead but in the 11th hour before filming they changed it to kind of answer that question and they had catwoman um looking upon the bat signal at the very end so that was a late inclusion that they made into the script um, I thought that that was cheese. I like the idea that that Keaton, like like Bruce Wayne, picks up the cat. The cat was so well behaved. Whoever trained that cat mm-hmm. deserves a treat because that cat just sat there and was like, um, "Mr. Keaton, will you pet my head now? Will you pet my head now? Will you pet my head now?" And and Michael is like, "I really don't want. I want to hold this fucking cat." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I, it was just so funny. And then you see her, uh, you see her head. And I'm like, oh, I forgot about that. And I'm like, damn it. Like, why wouldn't they just leave it be a little open? And, and if you do actually write her into something in the future, mm-hmm. then you get to reward your audience with a surprise. Then you hold a card. Yep. Like what? you actually can do something. One thing that Tim Burton wanted this movie to be more of is a standalone Batman movie, um, which is why they changed the script so heavily from the original 1989 release, uh, because he wanted a more open-ended, you know, movie that didn't directly touch the first one. So I think that was a miss there. Um, I also think that, uh, yeah, something that we already touched on, a little too sexualized. Uh, some of the lines, like, rewatching, I'm like, oh, yeah, Penguin did say that to this innocent person. You know? Yeah. Yeah. A little cringe at times. Oh. Um, yeah, let me put that pin on you, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, or how about I, when he first sees her and she's, he's just like, yeah. how about you get in bed with me? <laughs> like, yeah. Holy yeah. cow. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's just going for it. Or have you ever had a flap in you or something? Like, like it was like so yeah. like, really weird lines. One thing that this movie hurt, and this is why I've always been iffy on the amount of villains that any movie has, is... Mm-hmm. Splitting the screen time between three villains was taxing on a movie that's about 90 minutes, right? Like, what? three. Yeah. It's just too much. It was just too much. What? And yeah. this progressively got worse as the franchise went on because now you were sharing screen time with Robin, with Two-Face, with Riddler. Then in the next movie, you had Robin and Batgirl and Poison Ivy and... Uh, Bane, Bane and um, Mr. Mr. Freeze. Like it was Mr. just too Freeze. much. Honored. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the poster was just like a sandwich of fucking color. Yeah. God, <laughs> it was just yeah. Color There's swap. so much color Blue, in that movie. Mr. Freeze and this is. Well, they had all the like, neons the and everything. Everything just looked yeah. super staged, super comic-y, super children, like kitty. It was just really weird. But yeah, I love the marketing of this movie. Um, you know, like. The, mm. the bat, the cat, and the penguin. Like, that's fucking brilliant. Whoever came up with that, I hope, got a huge raise. Highly doubt because it was Warner Brothers. Um, but, yeah, like, overall, you know, this movie, as a kid, I loved it. This was the first movie I watched ever on opening day um, with my dad. He was one of the few movies, if not the only movie he took me to. Um, and I loved it back then. Um, and I've always liked it. But for some reason, rewatching it this time with a different lens, it was okay it was good but there was a lot of more things that i would criticize than i would you know mm-hmm. praise it for mm-hmm. that's fair i hear you oh. and that's fair you know, I, but thank you for bringing it to us because i i like i say i it adds a movie into the christmas repertoire that kind of dances outside of christmas vacation for me yeah Mm-hmm. And and Die Hard. So yep. you can watch this. You can watch Gremlins. There's other movies that you can watch. Exactly. Oh, I forgot about Gremlins. Oof. Oh, Gremlins yep. is a great movie. Um, yeah. So Batman Returns. You know, I overall still maintain that this movie is one of the better ones, considering what came after. Um, but I would have just loved to see what. The original script could have given us. I think that there yeah. was just so much potential of having a direct... even even putting David Bowie in mm-hmm. this film. 
would have elevated it. Yeah. Greatly. And the thing is, like, you know, at the time, Christopher Walken was Christopher Walken. Like, he's always been that type of person. But rewatching it now, it's more of a joke than anything else, right? Like, you can't really take him too serious as an actor. No, he did well. He did yeah, well. Yeah, he did well. It's just, it's just it was jarring. The yeah. first couple of screen appearances, I'm like, oh, God. And just the way he looks, too. He just looked mm-hmm. like, like, just the way they did the character. Then it started settling on me, and I'm like, okay, you know what? I, it's Christopher Walken. How can you not think the guy's great? Like, yeah. you know, it, it it is what it is. It's him. Yep. So because everyone has watched Batman Returns in some shape or form, I'm not going to go through everything. I wanted to have a discussion. Um, each of us are going to present our movies in our own way, and this is the way that I wanted to present mine. So that is Batman Returns, my choice, my pick, my Christmas present to my podcasting partners. And I hope that everyone enjoyed it. All right, next up is Tyler, who presented to us The Endless. And Tyler, before you start, I have to say, I couldn't think of a better theme for your movie than the Unsolved Mysteries theme. That's what it was. I was trying to remember. I was trying. I, I was like, I had, I heard it, and I couldn't remember what it was from. And I was like, come on, you can do this. And I was going to sit here, like, infuriated. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> in stark juxtaposition to Batman, uh, this movie was made for an unknown amount they have never publicly released how much it costs to make this movie. But the previous movie made by this team was $20,000. Let me say, that's the yep. resolution, right? Yes. You would never guess that it was made for that little if you watch the movie. No. To their credit, that's one of the reasons I want to talk about this, is these are both indie films by like a super small team. It's it's projected this movie was about twenty to forty thousand dollars, and you would swear it's like a full production. One hundred percent. Yeah, like you can they tell did make a, watching it that they didn't have oh. the best cameras, they didn't have the best yeah. lighting, but it was really well done, similar to the resolution. Because I will yeah. say, um, and they make it work. Yeah. Before you continue, I'll give you kind of like my background of this movie, just mm-hmm. because you know when you presented it to us, I'm like, oh fuck, here we go. So a couple years ago, um, I was uh, on my couch watching random stuff, and yep. I had, um, what do you call, uh, the Android box going, and I saw this movie called The Resolution, and I'm like, oh, this looks interesting. Holy fuck. Yep. For those of you <laughs> who want a good movie that yep. explores so much and nothing at all, it is The Resolution. Um, it was such a good movie. It was really well done. The budget is minimal. The acting $20, is great. $20,000. Yeah. The acting is great. The characters are super, super well thought up of. Um, oh. And overall, the concepts are so fucking good. So, fast forward a couple of years, and last year or so, um, I was randomly just, again, on my Android box, mm-hmm. and I saw... The Endless. And then for some reason, it's like, oh, that sounds interesting. But I didn't want to have another experience like I did when I watched <laughs> Knowing with Nicolas Cage. So I did some research. Oh, God. And I saw that it was the same group that did Resolution. 
And I watched it, and it, fuck, is yeah. And and a quasi sequel. Quasi sequel. Yeah, they're the same universe. Some characters. Yes. Yeah, some characters are in both movies, but it, you you do not need to watch both. And if you're only going to watch one, I would say The Endless. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Box office was a oh, just some dust off the shoulder. Nine hundred and fifty-seven thousand dollars. Um, this movie first was on the the film festival circuit for about just under a year before getting a, a proper release at twenty theaters on April sixth in yep. twenty eighteen. Yep. Um. So I actually was also inspired by Christmas for this one because at the end of the day, this is about family and and the difficult choices you make. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was between chosen family and and the family you actually have. And I thought like it was just a really good brotherly tale for us to look into and discuss briefly. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do a real quick, a real quick summary without giving too much away. Please. Um, two brothers uh, escape from a alleged death cult. Um, they claim it was death cult and the police get them out and they are now living on the outside and they are living absolutely shitty lives. Um, they get a movie invitation back to the death that back to the alleged death cult and they go and stuff gets weird that's the extent Mm -hmm. of my recap here here's the thing about this movie that got to me (laughs) the first time i watched it and more so this time it's and i sent this description to a friend of mine um and i told her that this movie starts off grounded it starts off as Mm -hmm. one thing and then it goes into man, I wish I was on some narcotics. And then mm-hmm. it goes into, is this movie on narcotics? And then it goes to, oh, I'm really glad I'm not on narcotics. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. There's like a good 20-minute, yeah. like, you know, the third, the beginning of the third act, those first yeah. minutes of the last act, where it's like where everything is happening and you're kind mm-hmm. of just watching, thinking, what the fuck am I watching? Yeah. And again, it's it's they're they're making a horror movie on an incredibly small budget. And it, it, again, it's worth noting that this movie made like no money, but has a ninety two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yep, and an eighty wow. on Metacritic. Wow. Now, I can say that I started watching it and I okay. paused it because okay. I wanted to talk to you guys about it. Yep. Because I wanted to know what type of experience I was in for, and Fair. you guys thusly forewarned me all right so i took it easy (laughs) and then i entered back into it and to be honest i didn't find it was that horrifying (laughs) i thought that it was a good psychological kind of thriller i enjoyed the elements you have brought up about chosen family over blood family i really enjoyed that element i really enjoyed the mystery of the UFO death cult. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed the resolution of that space that they're in. Yeah. Yeah. It I is worth noting. All the movie delivered on what yeah. it was going to say. And it took you on a ride. Yeah. It did it, in fact take you on a ride. It is more existential horror. And I do want to assure the audience of, yeah. of Phil had this great moment of, 
was this a nice thing or a mean thing you did, Tyler? And I was like, I genuinely wanted this to be a nice thing. I think it's a really good movie. It is. Yeah. It's just out there. I think that when you're when you're in the weeds with it, you're not sure where it's gonna go. Yeah. That's when I was asking Tyler about it, because I'm like, can I trust that this is something that you'll stand behind, or was yeah. this a, a grenade that you lobbed us? Like I, I, I just need to know the concept. May I liken this to a series so that some listeners might be able to relate it to in case they do want to watch it? Sure. Mm-hmm. Cloverfield. Okay. It it definitely has some stuff similar to the first two Cloverfield movies. Yep. I, I that, don't. I disavow the third. Yes. Yeah. Oh fuck. Oh, the third. No. Yeah, was out on its own. Yeah. Yeah. Literally on its own world. Um, mm-hmm. But this movie for me felt a lot like, especially this rewatch, because I watched Cloverfield and uh, the second one. Whatever. What was that one called again? Thirteen Cloverfield Lane. Yeah, that's it. Duh. Um, oh my god, that's it reminded such a terrifying, me a lot. That is a terrifying movie. It reminded yeah. me a lot of 13 Cloverfield Lane, uh, yep. where it's this very grounded story, and then it just takes you for a ride, you know? Mm-hmm. And well, Yeah. Yeah. So, if you like Cloverfield in this, it's kind of a sequel, not really a sequel world, where there's a lot of the stuff going on, but it's still a standalone movie, this is mm-hmm. a great movie to watch. Yeah, and, and one of the big questions you're asking throughout most of the movie is, is is this supernatural stuff smoke and mirrors, or is it real? Um, before you get to that culmination, and then you are like, all right, but what, is, what does that mean? Um, and I, I really enjoy, and I think that, it, it, I think that, again, it's a more of an indie thing, that they make the brave choice of not over-explaining stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a lot. I mean, I get a lot, for example, in the third Cloverfield movie of this need to over-explain in, in especially in like major blockbusters where like everything needs to be explained. Um, and this oh, yeah, just even, is like, eat it. In Star Wars, they, the mm-hmm. fan base demands explanation. And sometimes you're like, well, let's let the explanation come out when it makes sense. And for what? a movie like this, it doesn't make sense that you have to explain it all. It doesn't yeah. make it, it. That's not the story you're telling. You're not telling the story of the world. You're telling the story of these characters and the choices they make in the world. Mm-hmm. The, the world's explanation is inconsequential. This is the set of, set of circumstances that they have to deal with. What's the resolution? Yeah. Now, how do they, how do they reconcile getting, their Scion XB out of this place. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, I, it, I just felt that it was real for that, and I respected it for it. And I think that's oh. a perfect way to explain it. Like, you know, your choices really do matter. Um, and, you know, look at like, kind of like the, the final scenes where the younger brother is like, you know, all I wanted was for me to be able to fuck up. Oh god, that's so that gets me. And I'm an older brother, not a younger brother, and like I have I'm gonna own I have a shitty relationship with most of my family. Mm. But like all oh, that gets me in the feels every time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no. And, and to me that was that kind of resounded in the fact that like it it's so fucking true that like, you know, there are sometimes some people in your life that just don't allow you to fuck up and that's all you want to do. All they're trying to do is protect you, but a lot of times protecting you can create this resentment towards them mm-hmm. and you really see that in their dynamic when, you know, the existential question of should we stay or should we go comes up. 
God, that's yeah, that ending. It's so earned. Um, and yeah, I, I love the cutaway. I just, yeah. I, I genuinely, this is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, no, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's, I'm surprised that other people have watched this movie. Um, this is the type of movie that I like just absolutely eat up. Um, basically, from the time that I started university, I mm-hmm. really got into movies and, this one was like one of the more like well received in my opinion. Um, just everything was so damn good about it. Um, yeah, from the acting I mean, what, to yeah. <laughs> what also pisses me off is Aaron, the older brother, is a year older than I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's got like they've got six movies under their belt now. Um, they've got several more that are out, including one that just came out this year called she dies tomorrow but yeah yep. part of it was also like i wanted more people to know about these movies because like there's some really fucking awesome weird indie shit out there yeah exactly and same exactly. as we used to talk about back with it's comics on. of like some weird indie shit out there that's real good it's on netflix now so you can go look up the endless in netflix canada at least i don't know about states but it, i think it, they sold the it movie. To... yeah sorry i think they sold it to netflix states too good so that's a great platform to be on for for getting into people's living rooms. And during this pandemic, it might not be the happiest movie, but I think there are redeeming qualities within it and there there are definitely some challenging watch points. But if you have a relatively open mind, I think that it's a very accessible film. Yeah. I was a little confused. But again, you know, like you can't look for every answer to every single canon question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to accept the movie for what it is. Yeah. Yeah. In the middle of the movie, um, I was very confused because they kept talking about the ages of these characters. And you're like, wait a minute. These characters are the same age as you. And then mm-hmm. it starts clicking what's going on. Yeah. As you see, yeah. Yeah. you know, the stuff happening and happening again. It's kind of like, oh, I get it. So. Yeah, and then, and then the whole idea that that's, you know what I mean? Like, like one of the things that compels you to be there is just that offer of the repetition, or you yeah, know, not in that Groundhog way, Groundhog Day type of way. You know, without trying to give too much away, but mm-hmm. there is that element where it's like, okay, this makes a lot more sense behind why the older brother kept on consenting. To staying one more night. Yeah. You know it's what I also, mean? Because he was like hard edged going in. Yeah. And he's like, I just want my little brother to get this out of his system. Yeah. I also and think it, it fits. Get into it. Yeah. I also think it fits beautifully with the like, this is a metaphor of how much it's just you want that opportunity to fuck up. And the promise of the place is there is no fucking up there's nothing permanent and it is the safety of you never have to worry again but you'll never like you can never risk anything but you can never accomplish anything as a result yeah yeah this movie fucked up with me in regards to you know going back to what i talked about earlier where the younger brother just wants to make Mm. his own fuck-ups and then when you think about the movie and kind of what it's about and you know stuff happening and happening again it kind of makes you wonder and think do any of your choices actually matter as well this movie reminds me of another movie i watched this week what's that tenant 
<laughs> I was that's literally gonna be my would, next point. I would yeah. argue this does the similar idea better than Tenet. Yeah, but yeah. Th- this is why I'm going to draw the comparison, and it isn't mm-hmm. for the obvious reason that you're saying. It's okay, because I want to go back and watch it to piece together the mystery that I know from the end. Wow. To apply it to the movie from the beginning now. I hear you. I, I mean, I think that's what Christopher Nolan likes to yeah. put into his movies. That's and I the think that, that I was like, hey, you know no, what? totally. Yeah, I, I will say The Endless on the second watch, you do get something extra from it, which is yeah. always nice when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like it also isn't I, I, on that point. I feel like Tenet, part of the issue I have with it is it feels engineered for that in a way that like yes. Christopher Nolan has been repeatedly working towards and he's always been like there's more on deeper watching mm-hmm. but then you get to inception and you're like okay bud like you're just you're trying to engineer this and ten it's the same way versus the endless is very happy for you to watch it once and piece the fuck out but here's the thing mm-hmm. under the then this is why i'm so glad that we get to talk about this also and that's because christopher nolan's christopher nolan he has the endless yep. budget to do whatever the fuck oh he wants. Oh my god, right? And we've turned into a pseudo Christopher Nolan podcast, apparently. Um, but yep. remember, guys, there are independent movies, and they do have sci-fi concepts. They do have concepts outside yep. of the regular box, and oftentimes they do it better than these big blockbuster movies. And this movie is a perfect example of that. Like, whatever their budget was, you know that they fucking went above and beyond that. You know that they got the best people possible to do whatever special effects they had. But the the concepts that they introduce and sometimes, you know, not showing you something is a thousand times better than showing you something. Yeah. And that's something that I learned with Cloverfield. Sometimes the, mm-hmm. the that mystery oh. is better than actually showing you something. And that's why the third Cloverfield movie kind of really pissed me off. Yeah, it's that need to answer things. And like, yeah. we've answered all of them now. And it's like, God damn it, seriously? Yeah, yeah. so my point is... Go watch more independent movies because they bring in, they introduce you to concepts that you would have never thought of. Um, you know, this movie essentially doesn't introduce many new concepts, but it expands on them and it really gets you thinking. Yeah. yeah. My favorite part, man. my favorite line in the whole line was, hey, I slept with so-and-so. So you had sex. Oh, God. No, I literally slept with her. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, part of my favorite part, again, with this movie is those two brothers are such delightful fuck-ups. Like, yeah. they're just, they're just fuck-ups. Yeah. But you like, just, but you care about them. Like, they're not fuck-ups. The up opening scene, they're... right? Where yeah. you're like, you left the fucking battery on. Yep. And you decided to take the money I left you to go get the battery charged and buy a freaking video cassette player. Yeah. Right? Like, already you're like... Okay, I want to know more about this decision-making process. I want to know how screwed up their life is. And then he holds it over. I'm like, I'm not eating a bot lunch today because you yeah, freaking bought the video camera. You know and we still I mean? need like, that battery. Yeah, and we oh. still need the battery. And yeah, it was just like, how, how freaking decision is their life? affects them and almost fucks them up at the very end. So the little brother's mm-hmm. choice, oh. he actually almost did give them the yeah. ultimate fuck up. There's a nice little endless loop. <laughs> yeah. It all hangs together. Oh. Exactly. It's really yeah. well done. And again, again, like... two writers working together, not this weird fight. 
Yeah. This is this is so funny because I I I'm not sure that I enjoyed this movie, and this is why I wanted to do this discussion because yeah. I wanted it to push me my opinion into his own because I came sure. out of it feeling very raw. Oh, it does not. It's not a movie that makes you feel good. Um, yeah, I was, was I was just like, I don't yeah. know if I disliked what I watched. I don't know if I liked what I watched, but I know that sometimes when I discuss things with my friends yeah, and we watch something that's a bit out there, mm-hmm. the resulting discussion can affect how I perceive it going forward. 100%. Or if this I watch is... it again, yeah. which is where I'm really thankful that we're quiet in our chats because I'm happy to arrive at this conclusion with you on the podcast. Yeah, that's I, exactly I, why I kind of like yeah. kibosh us really getting deep into discussions mm-hmm. outside of the show. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would just, I would draw the comparison, I think, to, um, it's also acceptable. Like, I, I don't know if you two have watched Nightcrawler. Yeah. Uh, but that's a fucked up movie that I loved and never want to watch again. Yeah. And I think that that's like a valid experience. It's like, oh no, that's a great movie. It made me feel bad. I don't want to watch it. Yeah, right. Everyone should watch it once and then never watch it again. Yeah. It's kind of like um, that Ryan Gosling movie, The Police Beyond the Pines. It's like, I'm good with one watch. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. Oh, what was, there was a Robin Williams one. Where uh, father of the Year. wife passed away. No, his wife passed away. And it was he went to her dimension or whatever. Oh, shit. What dreams Damn. may come. Oh yeah, that one is one of those movies where it's like you watch it once, you ball your eyes out, and then you're like, oh, and then good. you're good. Thanks. No, totally. I I think that that movies like that have deserve a place. I think we're getting. I, I have I'm really pain and emotion and experience, yep. and they awaken things inside of you, and then you know that maybe those are the things that you want to have in a drawer. Yeah, and but maybe it's great not, that. Never watch it again, but I don't want to open that drawer every year. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I oh, felt yeah. watching the Robin Williams movie. Um, it's actually called uh, World's Greatest Dad. Mm. Uh, directed by Bobcat Goldwaith. It's like fucked up movie, fucked up mm-hmm. premise. It's just like, wow, I can't watch that again. Interesting. I might have to check that out. You should. Yeah, what... what... What dreams may come is the one where Robin Williams got, dies and goes to hell. Then his wife commits suicide. And, no, sorry, Robin Williams dies and goes to heaven. His wife commits suicide and goes to hell. Goes to hell. And then he tries to fix that. But yeah, that's just what I want to talk about. And um, I think it's really important to talk about uh, chosen families and who we choose to spend time with. And I'm glad we're spending time together right before Christmas. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, to be honest, that was one of the things I wanted to tell you guys, and I was thinking it was going to happen at the end of my segment, but I'm really thankful to have you guys in my family. Because at the beginning of this year, I didn't know Tyler, and Boris and I were just chatting and telling dick and fart jokes. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I was... I was um... I've known Boris for five years, and, and so I do feel for... I, like, I, yeah, like, I remember talking to my, my partner a couple days ago, about how one of the things I look forward to now um, when watching something new is the chance to talk to it with 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 you guys because yeah. um, you will have such different takes on it and I think it's it's, it's very good for me um, and oh I, I think there was I remember um, my partner stopped watching Mandalorian which is is fine 
Um, but I remember, <laughs> I remember from the last one and being like, oh man, I can't wait to talk to Phil about this and see the take. And I made her come through the room and look at the CGI at the end of that last scene. I was like, look, look, look at the CGI! But yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> was terrible. I love the fact that you said she stopped watching, but that's okay. <laughs> she didn't. Like, we don't watch all shows together. No, and so that funny. that's an important dynamic in in a partnership, a couple, whatever. It's it, even amongst your friends, right? Because my niece started; she was so excited about Mandalorian last year, she had to like she saw how excited I was, and she's like, "I mm-hmm. want to watch this." So her and her partner started watching it, and I was so excited because they were excited and they were feeding me their lines of excitement. Then they come back to me and they're like, "Well, we didn't like it as much as you." <laughs> Half this stuff like was like, you know, like a mile above our heads, and I'm like, yeah. that's fair. <laughs> so they're being very trepidatious about season two. They're like, eh, yeah, we're gonna watch it mm-hmm. because we made a commitment, and we see the internet. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'm like, that's okay. That's uh, you got to make your choices. Yep. I had to explain to one friend because she can't watch it. I had to explain. The last episode to her because mm-hmm. she watched all the way up to it right and i explained it to her on the phone and she started crying oh god yeah and i'm like oh my gosh like and i was getting a little bit teary too because of the sentiment of the moment at the end and i'm like oh my gosh like yeah and it wasn't my favorite episode but whatever <laughs> it happens mm-hmm so yeah, I hear you. it's an interesting relationship dynamic. Yep. And that's why. Because that would you know, be the worst if you get emotional about it. And then you're like, oh, I, I can't explain to you why I'm teary. Maybe <laughs> there are onions somewhere. Yeah. I hear you. I hear exactly. you. Yeah, that's it for The Endless. All right. Thanks, Tyler. Well, well and done, again, buddy. our listeners Woo. should check this movie out if they have the opportunity. It's really good. And let us know if you do have the chance to watch it. So now, without further ado... It's time. It's the Muppet Show! I think to no one's surprise, Phil picked something Jim Henson related. Go ahead, Phil. Well, yeah, I I, I chose... I, I don't even get the title of this right all the time. A <laughs> Muppet Family Christmas. It was a television special that was produced originally in 1987. It was re-aired in 1988. I believe it was purchasable for a frame of time on VHS. I believe it was purchased purchasable for a frame in time on dvd right now it falls into a limbo that is on youtube Mm -hmm. and it gets taken down quite regularly and then it reappears so have no fear it's always there (laughs) um the reason for this all is because and this is why it is so near and dear to my heart Mm -hmm. and that is because it is the first and only crossover special yeah. yeah crossover i mean the holy grail of muppets sesame street and the fraggles 
sit down CW, so, sit down Marvel. They did it first. Yeah, it it and Jim is actually in it. It's the last filmed piece, the last Christmas special at least with Jim actually in it with the Muppets. So yeah. it holds every time he's on screen, I do cry a little. Because mm-hmm. he's doing the dishes at the end. And we all know Christmas dishes. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's just that perfect Jim Henson moment and he died three years later. Yep. So it's interesting. It's got a dynamic to it. I will go over really quickly. Like I, I like look, it's not rich on plot. It's it's the Muppets. Mm-hmm. It it really is a Christmas. Let's feel good about Christmas. Let's see some Muppet shenanigans. There's no real plot other than they're visiting Fozzie's mom and she was going to go away to Malibu and rent her house to Doc and Sprocket. Mm -hmm. And then the Muppets show up. And they naturally invited every Muppet in the history of mankind. So they all start showing up at different times. A storm hits. Piggy is late to the party. And then Doc goes out and gets Piggy. I don't think I'm ruining it for anybody because the spoilers don't apply to 1987. But what does apply to 1987 was the top song was Faith by George Michael. There you go. Does this predate your existence, Tyler? Yeah. Predate your existence? (laughs) Yes. Um, By about three months. Nice. Almost exactly three months, actually. Well, you would have been able to watch the rewatch in 1988. Yep. Um, big movies at the time. Three Men and a Baby. Yeah. <laughs> Final Attraction. Beverly Hills Cop 2. Dirty Dancing. Lethal Weapon. The first one. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, this is the one. Guess what the... Okay, what was released that year on the NES, Boris? 87? Uh, mm-hmm. Legend of Zelda? You got it, buddy. <laughs> yes. The Legend of Zelda on the NES. So the NES was a current console. So that's that's kind of the setup. That's the frame in time. So I I don't know. I I just, you know what? What were like you this, doing this, in this era? I would have been at my friend's place, Adam Hogg. He had an NES, and he had Legend of Zelda. So I can most definitely say that I was into it. Uh, as well, I was a huge closet Muppet geek yeah. at this point in time. I was going to literally ask like, you about that. Was When did you get into the Jim Henson stuff? Like, What got you into it, and why? Okay, as a, as a kid... I watched Sesame Street a lot. My mom would let me, she trusted Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then in 86, and I also uh, watched um, The Muppet Show. I, that was a very accessible television show for me. And my parents would be very happy when it was on. They, in fact, there was one year, 1982. I had a birthday party. It was in January. And I got a Hoth battle station. Kenner Hoth battle station. 
and received all my toys for my birthday, and I was having a big group birthday party in this exact spot, in fact, where I'm sitting right now. Nice. And I was wanting to play with Hoth, but another kid had it. <laughs> and I was getting to that birthday crankiness of post-sugar crash. <laughs> and on the TV, on came The Muppet Show, The Empire Strikes Back edition with Mark Hamill and Anthony Daniels and R2-D2. Yes. And it had uh, <laughs> Gonzo as Darth Vader. Which enshrined Gonzo as my favorite Muppet. (laughs) And I thought that that was God's way of telling me that the Muppets are the Star Wars embodiment (laughs) of all things that I should be paying attention to in my life at this moment. Fair enough. And then I threw the birthday tantrum of hell and wanted to make all my friends leave so that I could watch the Muppets in peace. Fair. <laughs> That's amazing. Which and and the meal that night was a Star Trek happy meal, which <laughs> pissed me off to no freaking end. <laughs> <laughs> that I had Spock on my freaking box. So fair enough. Oh man. So that's what started it, and then it morphed into the fra- the Fraggles <laughs> because that was on CBC. So that was regularly aired on Sunday nights. And it spilled into afternoon watchings of Muppet Babies. Yep. Which combined Lucasfilm footage. Yeah. Right? That was one of the only ways that you could see Star Wars outside of Star Wars was watching these little snippets of TIE fighters that would come out of the closet when Gonzo would open the door. Yeah. And and Raiders of the Lost Ark. And all this other meta stuff. So that was my obsession. And it got to the point where I was doing the voices. I was mimicking everything. I was writing my own plays with the Muppets. I was doing everything I could <laughs> to live vicariously through the Muppets and Star Wars. That's so, amazing. Checks out. <laughs> yeah, it's embarrassing. No, it's <laughs> oh, awesome. you're good. It's an awesome I'm not gonna story. Also, like I watched this this morning. And I had never seen it before. I cried a little at the end. Not too proud to admit it. It's good. There's nothing wrong with it. It's super good. It's honestly one of the most happy-go-lucky family shows that you can watch. And re-watching it, Mm -hmm. because I remember bits and pieces of this from who knows when. But this is the Mm -hmm. first time I watched it from beginning to end as an adult um and it just, it was just happy they don't make stuff like this anymore everything needs to have like a a small sense of sarcasm or adult jokes or mm-hmm. whatever and this kind of had it but it it was veiled it wasn't so in your face and that's something that i learned to appreciate about the muppets at the older i got and i revisited the muppets as an adult cuz mm-hmm. you know you know we i know we've always talked about it but it's kind of like those veiled adult jokes. Um, Shrek, for example. It was very in your face. But the Muppets, they kind of veiled it in their cuteness and their happiness. And that's, <laughs> you know, you don't get entertainment like that anymore. I mean, they tried. Yeah. They tried to give it to you again. <laughs> Here, I, I'm actually going to play you guys and for our audience the most controversial joke from this <gasps> episode. <gasps> 
Did you know that Doc starts with the letter D? Why, yes. Yes, yes starts with the letter Y. Yeah. True. And true starts with the letter D. Hey, what is this? Where we come from, this is small talk. <laughs> Whatever you say. Well, it's nice to meet you, but I've got to go and build some bunk beds. Bunk, bunk beds. beds. C words. Ah, 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 ah. Hey, 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 no, 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 you got me wrong. I'm a dear. B-words. Yeah. I'm getting from this that Jim Henson was a butt man. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I, I, I just, yeah. You're right. What do you think of it, Tyler? I really liked it. I thought it was really cute. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's I, I like I say I enjoy that all the Muppets are there that you, you very rarely like it, it happened in Sesame Street a little bit where Kermit would be a regular mm-hmm. on the show, especially in the 70s in the earlier. Yeah, years. before the before the licensing got funky. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it was it's just you think about uh, reading the Jim Henson autobiography and whatnot, and you think about all that was going on in Jim's life, especially leading up to this time, and trying to make the Muppet Show at Pinewood, yeah. and then flying across to film on weekends, Sesame Street, because him and Frank would have to get on a red eye, yeah, and make the transatlantic flight, and then record the Ernie and Bert stuff while Carol did all of the uh the the stuff with oscar and with mm-hmm. big bird that was the same guy right so that's why oscar and big bird were integrated with the kids and whatnot mm. and jim whenever he was voicing somebody either doing a kermit the frog interview with the kid or doing ernie and bert type thing was always separately segmented yeah so wow. you can start seeing the the how they had to make those decisions yeah about the filming and that that's where the adult me still enjoys it because I, I like pulling away that little shroud of mystery and yeah and like recently somebody there's a great twitter um muppet history and you can go out that uh, josh runs that 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 yeah. channel and hopefully one day we have him on the show but be awesome we it's should get just him the really great yeah it's just really great to see some of the old footage that he's able to he digs it up and he restores it back onto youtube oh nice and it's it's just really interesting that you'll even see Jim like sitting there with Kermit on his hand and he goes, you're not worried about the guy in the beard, you know, with yeah. Kermit just saying you're not and you don't even freaking pay attention to Jim. He just disappears and it's not camera work. They're both in frame, but mm-hmm. he's just so great at animating Kermit and, and working Kermit and. For me as well, this is all the amalgamation because it's not often you had the Toronto crew with Jerry up in Toronto and Steve doing all their stuff and you had them all together on set and it's one of those few celebrations that all the puppeteers <laughs> were together and doing their craft and trying out all these different jokes and trying out all these different dynamics and yeah, so that's always a happy spot for me to be in. Yeah. What's sad is, you know, when you take a look at, and this would probably make Jim Henson incredibly sad. And that's, you know, he made this for entertainment value. He made this for for everyone to enjoy. But 
suits and corporate America and capitalism got involved. And now you're never going to be able to see anything like this again just because of who owns the rights to the Sesame Street and the Muppets and everyone else, right? Like, it's that, to me, is the part that legitimately hurts me so much that Jim Henson, like, this well, is not he was, what he envisioned. Yeah, he was, he was, I mean, I've read... I don't think I've read his autobiography, but I've read a few different books about him. And he was the rare person who was good at business. Mm -hmm. Because he had like a really good head for how to manage his stuff and making sure that like in those early days, he could have lost Kermit so easily. And he negotiated the hell out of those contracts. I have to give him props for that. But also it was never about the business. Like it's rare that you find someone who is creative, knows business, and doesn't end up being just a, like a business monster. Yeah, yeah. Where well, he found the right people all the way along, and it was due to him mm-hmm. finding and and walking away when he had to walk away, and taking a risk. Like some of the biggest mm-hmm. risks in his career were like Dark Crystal, yeah, because of the threat of movie theater, yeah. like production companies trying to buy it and control it and defund it and things like that but yeah you're right like jim that was his big attribute and unfortunately as his legacy you know after he passed and the subdivisions happened you know now we have a situation where hbo owns sesame street yeah disney owns the muppets well yeah he sold a lot of henson slash apple own fraggles i don't know what the arrangement or ownership is but they've at least licensed it to apple yeah uh, there's a he sold he actually did a bunch of those deals before he passed and but yeah, yeah that IP the disney was the deal. Whole, yeah but it it didn't actually go through i don't believe did it i think it did go no through. it died it died and then his kids made it go through like two or three late years after his passing it did die it did die because he that was one of his most controversial things after his passing was that he was he was basically splitting the the legacy. He was going to split the profits amongst everybody. I think I, mm. my memory. Might no, be it was. Yeah. It was 14 years after his death. Yeah. Yeah. So it I didn't realize he died so early. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. He, he wanted to get it out there. Yeah, he yeah, wanted to get it to Disney. Like they dedicated uh, Muppet Christmas Carol to Jim Henson. Yeah, I for I didn't I yeah. forgot I it never like clicked to me. Also, how young he was like fifty three is bananas young. Yeah, and it, yeah, it it hit me because I had a serious illness that was very similar to his. Yeah, and I read this after I recovered, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was just like creepy stuff. <laughs> That's all yeah. I can say. I was just like. Oh boy, I'm in a similar age category, and uh, yeah, yeah, apparently that can happen. He just thought he had the flu, <laughs> so it's it's scary reading about his last days and all the situation that surrounded it. Very very sobering, that's for sure. But you know what? Interesting guy, interesting Jeez. imagination, and it's a better world for his contribution, in my opinion. And that's what I wanted to share with you guys. Sorry, I just I just stumbled across the actual story of his final hours, and that's brutal. Yep. He like it's heartbreaking. Yeah. The day before his death, he was like, well, I can't go to the hospital because I don't want to screw up this schedule. And it's like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. He I, was on the Arsenio Hall show. 
and he on the fourth. Like, yeah, he was like death warmed over on that show. Yeah, he was already in septic shock. Like he was, he was not a happy camper. Made it, made it, fifteen, six, fourteen days at no, twelve days after that. So, yeah, it's a slow killer. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> Bacterial pneumonia. Yeah, Jesus. Well, it, it basically it, it became blood poisoning, right? It, oh yeah. It, well, yeah. He got sick and just never got better, and then it, it poisoned him. Yeah. It's it's like the nightmare scenario of getting yeah. the most benign disease and having it cripple you and and being in constant denial that it's there. Right? Yeah, Streptococcus pneumonia. Yep. Yeah. It's a crazy thing, but. Like I say, we have his work. We have Brian Henson restoring the original Christmas Carol, and Disney have signed off on that. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be out this year, but they are restoring one of the original songs that got cut under the Disney brand. So they mm-hmm. are bringing this song back. Disney specifically cut it back in the day, and they lost the original files. But since then, they have recovered them, and they brought Brian in recently for a preview of the 4K version that they're going to be putting on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. And they included the song and Brian was very uh touched that the song is back. So that's probably the most current Muppet news there is. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah. It's I it's just a happy Christmas time. You know, Christmas was always uh my family's favorite time of year. And mm-hmm. Yeah, so I like to do happy things at Christmas. Not watch Mr. Robot season four. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I will say, um, I mean, and 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 I'm with you, Phil. Jim Henson is is a saint. He's like a patron saint of the arts. And uh, my my wife didn't used to love the Muppets, and this year she was like, Christmas Eve, we're watching Muppet Christmas Carol. I gotta watch it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I'm hoping that one day that when we get into this world where we're not all forced on or into our houses and not allowed to, you know, we're allowed to again visit our, our friends to the south in the states. I'm hoping to one day make the pilgrimage to the Henson display in New York and see some of the original stuff and actually experience it all. But in the meantime, there's a great thing Adam Savage going there. And experiencing yeah. it and getting the guided tour. It's a great hour of YouTube to spend if you're interested in Jim Henson and his legacy and his works. So, you know, that kind of stuff is really big for me. It's the same way Star Wars is. I love digging into the old kind of lore and whatnot and, and understanding the time and understanding the context that the creations were made. And the Muppets offers a really valuable lens into that. Yep. All right. Thanks, Phil. That was awesome. Guys, this is really, like, you guys picked some really good stuff. We were able to talk about stuff that, you know, it's it's a bit uh, outside, still in our wheelhouse, but a little bit outside per se. Um, And I think this is going to become a Christmas tradition here on the It's Canon podcast. Having said that, Phil, how about you let people know how they can get a hold of us? Of course, you can find us at our website, which is now up, which is why you're probably listening to the podcast. 
Um, you can find us at www.itscanonpodcast.com. You can hit us up at Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at It's Canon Podcast. You can email us at show at itscanonpodcast.com. You can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, Amazon, really anywhere you find podcasts. We're even on iHeartRadio and TuneIn. So like, there's nowhere you're not going to find the It's Canon Podcast. But if somehow you do, let us know. And when you do find us, please subscribe to let yourself know when all these zany episodes drop because sometimes they are zany <laughs> and make sure to hit the, the rate and review because that greatly uh, helps us out in climbing up to get more ears on our podcast and thank you so much for taking the time to listen yep thank you so much to all of our listeners it's been a hell of a year it's been a hell of a ride for the past seven months or so and having said that I do want to wish everyone a super safe and happy Merry Christmas. I know that 2020 has not been the easiest year for people, but we're also here. You know, if we do listen to guidelines and regulations, we'll be able to get out of this sooner rather than later. And again, this being Christmas, be sure to watch this movie. Cut. What if it sucks? Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> I've I was doing the fanboys reference. Yeah, yeah fanboy, big time. I, I love that sucks. Movie. Um, that movie is oh, I've not read the greatest of reviews. I yeah, but I'm not looking. I'm, I'm going to watch the movie and make my mind up. I'm exactly, seen stuff. Exactly. Yeah. All right, yeah, guys. I want everybody to have a merry Christmas, happy New Year. Uh, happy holidays if you're not a Christmas person if Hanukkah happy Hanukkah whatever it is that you celebrate this time of year I want you to be happy safe Kwanzaa Tet Ramadan it's all good yeah let's let's keep out of trouble let's not get COVID and let's get back to normal in 2021 and get vaccinated or whatever it is that we need to do to make this go away wish you all the best Tyler any final words take care of yourselves out there and to you guys. You too, guys. Again, it's you been a pleasure well. for the past seven months doing this with you guys. And to many more years of doing this, hopefully. And having said that, thank you to everyone. Stay safe. And remember, the next episode of the It's Canon Podcast will be released sooner rather than later. And it's going to be our best and worst of 2020. A 2020 retrospective. Thank you to everyone. Merry Christmas. Stay safe. And... Goodbye.